It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Do you want to cleanse after eating too much Halloween candy? Do you want to have energy to deal with your relatives and all the travel? Eat nutrient-dense food that's quick and easy with Factor Meals. That's what I do. Sometimes I'm just too busy to cook on my busy schedule, and I want to make sure I'm eating well. And with Factor, I don't have to run to the grocery store. I don't have to chop, prep, and clean up either. And I get flavor and nutritional quality that I look for to give me the energy to keep doing what I do. It is cold and flu season, and I found over time that when I've been eating well, I recover quicker from uh, cold and flu symptoms. And during this time of year, you want to be able to get out and do things without feeling like you're going to be sick for two weeks afterwards. The clean eating and nutrient density in Factor Meals makes me more confident that I'm going to fight back against all the germs that are out there circulating during this time of year. Factor provides over 35 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that does support a healthy lifestyle and will meet your meal preferences with their variety, all delivered right to your door and ready to pull out of the refrigerator and heat up and eat in two minutes. You don't have to wait 45 minutes for delivery, worry if the food's going to be cold, worry about how much to tip, and mess around with the delivery app. Every week you get a box of meals and they're in your fridge ready to go. They also have an assortment of 45 plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes and smoothies. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice, too. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity at their production and site offices. So, this November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com wade50 and use code wade50 to get 50% off. That's code wade50 at factormeals.com slash wade50 to get 50% off. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. 
Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Wrestling Night in America here on PWTorchDailyCast.com. Good Saturday afternoon here on November 4th, 2023. I am Pro Wrestling Torch columnist Greg Parks. You can find me on social media at Greg M. Parks, and I'm here uh, breaking down the WWE Crown Jewel event that just went off the air. So uh, thank you for joining me. Would love to hear from you, by the way. Uh, you can call us up, 515-605-9345, if you're listening live, if you want to give your thoughts on the Crown Jewel event. And if you are listening live and you are unable to call in, you can email us at wnialivecast at gmail.com. I've got the email up right in front of me, so we will be monitoring that uh, throughout the show. So really excited to join uh, Brandon LeClaire, who I'll bring on in just a few moments, PWTorch.com contributor, who uh, will join me for all of the uh, post-pay-per-view shows, AEW and WWE, and uh, always love to get his perspective. He covers all uh, AEW and WWE pay-per-views on PWTorch.com in real time as an alternative report to, of course, our editor, Wade Keller. So uh, Crown Jewel taking place this afternoon from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, uh, and uh, quite an event, a lot going on here. And uh, without further ado, I'll bring Brandon on the air here. Brandon LeClaire, PWTorch.com contributor. Thanks again for joining me for this. Yeah, happy to uh, happy to be here and uh, talk about the show for sure. Absolutely. Um, just from your perspective, overall thoughts on this show, um, I would rank it probably slightly ahead of uh, Fastlane. I think that was the last PLE that WWE did. I wasn't. I, I called in my Torch uh, newsletter roundtable review. Fastlane was kind of like. The new bottom, I think, for for WWE pay-per-views, where it's still a pretty good show, and the matches are all decent, but there just doesn't feel like there's a lot going on, and it doesn't always feel like there's a real good reason for that show to happen. So I would say this was slightly mm-hmm. above that, but I don't, I didn't think it was a real strong show by any stretch. What did you think of Crown Jewel? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in an era with WWE right now where you're 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 going to get a pretty good show overall on a premium live event. That just seems to be par for the course with them. 
right now, much like it is with, with AEW. I mean, for, for all of the complaints about their TV product, I mean, they put on pretty good pay-per-views. And I think WWE has, has especially this year, put on largely very good PLEs. Uh, you know, they vary in quality, but none of them feel like you've really wasted your time. And I think that, you know, today's show was no exception. I, I'm with you. I would rank it slightly, you know, ahead of Fastlane and, uh, perhaps even uh, what was the September show called? I, I forgot already. Was that Extreme Rules or? Let's say it uh, was Payback. Payback. <laughs> there it it was Payback. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and so yeah, slightly slightly ahead of Payback and and uh, and and Fastlane, but I, I thought that it was maybe one of the lesser consequential shows they've done in Saudi in a while. I also noted too in, in my report for PW Torch that. It felt to me like they were a little bit heavy-handed on the propaganda for Saudi Arabia this Absolutely, time, a little yes. bit more than they had been in uh, in in recent iterations. And to me, that brought it down a little bit because, for me, I, I mean, my objections to the partnership with Saudi Arabia are are well documented, and I try really hard in my reports at this point to not inject a whole lot of that because I think. I think that my stance is clear, and I think a lot of our stances are clear that we would prefer altogether that this partnership didn't exist, that these shows did not happen. But if they're going to, we're you know going to do our best to cover them objectively. But it's hard to not feel like it's marred a little bit when the stuff is so in your face. And I thought they did a good job at pulling back on that in recent events and less so today. Yeah, it just makes you wonder – uh, what the directive was, right? Like, I mean, as you mentioned, they'd really mm-hmm. dialed that back in recent events. Now, I don't know if maybe WWE and Saudi Arabia felt comfortable enough going forward with it because some of the more uh, public and some of the more global news items that have surrounded Saudi Arabia in the past are far enough in the rearview mirror where maybe enough people may not be as outraged by the um, sports washing that, that WWE is doing for Saudi Arabia, that maybe they felt more comfortable shining a spotlight on all the great things that Saudi Arabia has to offer, more so than they have in the past. I'm not sure, but obviously there was a change in philosophy for this show in terms of putting more of a spotlight on Saudi Arabia as a country that's great to visit and, and all this stuff. And, you know, the sad mm-hmm. part is, like, it seems like Saudi Arabia would be a great place to visit, if not for all the government killings, uh, and, and if not for sure. The, sure, and, yeah. and if not for the the you know the way they treat homosexuals and the way they treat women and things like that. If not for all of that, it, it actually right. would be maybe a nice place to visit. But um, those are you, you can't get over those. I mean, that's just you, you can't. So um, that's no, my no. my thought on it anyway. Uh, yeah, Crown Jewel, we started with the pre-show. Sami Zayn defeated uh, J.D. McDonough, moving into the main show. Uh, Seth Rollins versus Drew McIntyre started things off. Uh, Rollins wins to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. Sami Zayn thwarted Damian Priest's cash-in attempt after the match and actually took the briefcase from him and ran away. Uh, curious as to your thoughts on drew mcintyre here because i thought that i would have been okay if mcintyre had won here because my thought on rollins is i thought he was the right champion at the right time 
in terms of the first World Heavyweight Championship, quote-unquote, um, on the Raw brand with this new title. I thought he was the right call for it at the time. But I also look at Seth Rollins and say, while he's done a great job as champion, I'm not really sure how much more there is for him to do. And I guess when you look at it from the perspective of the Drew McIntyre character, is it more interesting if he loses and continues to go down this kind of heelish thought process? I won't even call it a heel turn because it's not. But certainly the way he has put his thoughts out there is more heelish. Or would it be more interesting for him to win and sort of erase all of those doubts? Um, certainly I think there's an argument to be made for him losing and, and it being more interesting, but I also think, you know, from both professionally, um, as someone who enjoys Drew McIntyre's work and personally who would like to see Drew McIntyre get a significant title reign, um, aside from the one he had during the pandemic when there were no fans in attendance, I would have liked to have seen him win here. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Daily Cast listeners, thank you, first of all, for streaming the shows. Be sure you're subscribing. Just search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to pro wrestling podcasts. But while you're at it, if you're not yet, please subscribe to the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast and Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Shows. Search Wade Keller and see two logos pop up, a blue one and a red one. The red logo, the post shows, cover Raw and SmackDown each week with a fast turnaround time of a couple hours after the show's end. And also, every Saturday, we present a flashback to our analysis from five years ago that week, covering Raw. Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net joins me, and we analyze what happened on Raw five years ago. So check out that time capsule every weekend. The Blue Logo Show features the Thursday flagship, plus our first-run interviews, our classic interviews, and our mailbag segments. So again, search Wade Keller and click subscribe to both the Red Logo and the Blue Logo. Uh, which side of the argument do you fall on for this one? I think I'm probably closer to your opinion that it, it, it could have been a good move here to move the title onto him. I, I also, I was not, um, I, I was not completely against the idea of, of keeping the title on Seth because I do think that there can be more story to tell with he and Drew. I, I think that, as Drew continues down this path of, of going the heel route, I think that there's a possibility that as he continues to establish himself and they delve further and further into that character and he sort of turns fully to the dark side, 
I think that there's a strong chance that he does take the title from Seth, and, and I, I think I would like that overall. I'm, I'm curious what the story could have been if they had moved the title tonight, because I think that if you move the championship over to Drew now, while he's still technically a babyface and teetering on the edge of that heel turn, then you have a cool kind of original dichotomy that you can play with as far as, you know, is Drew going to, now that he has accomplished his goal, now that he has proven that he can still win the championship being who he is and not necessarily turning his back on the fan, will he remain in that role or will he continue to sort of go down the path of the dark side and, and continue to, real, to, to lean into those heel-like tendencies? So I, I tend to favor that only because it feels to me like a more original story. Mm-hmm. But I think that they can still tell a compelling story with him becoming a heel and then after the heel turn, using his newfound, you know, evilness or, or whatever you want to call it to eventually dethrone Seth. What do you make of the teases of him with Rhea Ripley? You know, we saw them in the background of Raw talking. She had approached Drew McIntyre about uh, potentially uh, a partnership of some kind. Apparently, Drew blew them off, and then she shows up after the match to kind of rub it in to Drew McIntyre. Uh, Is this something that he, you think, could potentially consider once again, now that he's lost here? Or what do you make of that, uh, those teases that we've seen? Yeah, it was curious to me that they that they harped kind of heavily on this. I mean, Cole and Barrett made mention of it prior to the match beginning, and then uh, just a few minutes into the match when, when Seth and, and Drew were kind of fighting on the outside, uh, Cole made mention of the fact that, that Rhea Ripley and other members of the Judgment Day had attempted to recruit both Drew and Seth individually to be members to, to try to uh, gain favor with them and, and sort of guarantee a victory in, in this particular match. To me, when, when they initially went through that process on Raw, when, when they were involved, it didn't feel to me like something that they were taking all that seriously and instead was more like just fodder to set up sort of the matches that they've been doing on Raw featuring Judgment Day and a collection of baby faces. But going so hard at it tonight, it, it made me realize that this is actually something that they're they're leaning into pretty heavily and they want you to actually take seriously. So I don't rule out the idea that perhaps Drew could side with the Judgment Day in order to get at Rollins. But my, my thought is if he were to do that, it's unlikely that he actually joins the group and rather takes advantage of their willingness to help in order to beat Seth. Personally, I would rather he not get involved. I think the Judgment Day sort of exists on its own island. I don't think that Drew McIntyre necessarily fits with their MO and the way that they operate. I don't think that he falls into that look, that style. I just don't think any of it really works for him versus someone like Finn Balor who can assimilate into that that style pretty easily. So I would prefer to keep Drew separate, um, even if it just means, you know, teasing some involvement with the Judgment Day. I also want to see them keep Drew separate because I, I just want to see them pull back on the, the insane amount of interference finishes. That, to me, was a big problem on, on this show. Yeah. Uh, the last three matches in particular were all decided due to significant amounts of interference. Mm-hmm. 
And it's a crutch that WWE pulled back on for a while, and they're falling back into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what did you think about this as match of the night? Did you have it as the number one, or did you have another match on the card standing out above this one? Jordan's asking me? Yes. Um, I would have it near the top. It, the only thing that I would perhaps place ahead of it might might actually be Rey Mysterio and Logan Paul. I, I thought that they worked exceptionally well together. I thought that it accomplished exactly what they needed it to do. I, I was let down, you know, a little bit by, again, more interference because I do think, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it with that match, I do think that Paul at this point has earned the right to, to win a couple of matches without significant interference or cheating. But uh, I, I really, really liked that match. So either that or, or this would, would be my pick. And I'll just reset here because I know some people have joined us uh, in the last few minutes. This is Wrestling Night in America here on PWTorchDailyCast.com, part of the Pro Wrestling Torch Network. I am Pro Wrestling Torch columnist Greg Parks along with PWTorch.com contributor Brandon LeClaire. We'd love to hear from you. 515-605-9345 is the number to call if you'd like to share your thoughts on WWE Crown Jewel, which is what we're talking here this afternoon. Also, just a reminder, if you do want to call in and talk, make sure to press 1 on your key pad to show up in the uh in the line that you would like to talk because you can also just call in and listen and you're more than welcome to do that as well wnia livecast at gmail.com is where you can reach us via email and send your thoughts on crown jewel we'll read those during the course of the show as well so match number two was the women's five-way for the title, Rhea Ripley retaining against Zoe Stark, Nia Jax, Raquel Rodriguez, and Shayna Baszler. Um, they, they did not have the uh, problems in a five-way match that you normally do in terms of timing, in terms of you know breaking up pins and not uh, timing it correctly, and some of the other multi-person moves that you see uh, related to that. So I thought it was nice that this match uh, did not have that too. Um, you know, and, and Rhea Ripley, as you would expect, gets the victory. Uh, not a surprise. No one really stood out here in terms of um, someone who could legitimately challenge Ripley. I think Shayna Baszler could have been positioned in that way at some point. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez, again, you know, she had been uh, early in her run on the main roster, treated as a major star, but um, that's no longer the case. Uh, Nia Jax in her return, you know, she's a, a big star within the division, but she's not someone who, even with her return being treated as a big deal, you really felt like was a serious contender to get the title. And then you had Zoe Stark, which is even you know, even further down than all these other women. So Brandon, it just didn't feel like, even though um, the match was fine. And, and I had mentioned that a lot of the timing issues that you see with five way matches, men or women wasn't really present here. It didn't feel like any of these women had been built up to the point where it felt like they had a realistic chance of beating Rhea Ripley here. Searching for more great pro wrestling talk. Then join me, Jason Powell, host of the free weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net, along with other pro wrestling media members. 
Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at pwboom.com. Once again, that's pwboom.com. No, it didn't. It, it felt a lot like a... It was a bit disjointed. I mean, I agree that, that, like you said, there weren't any of the real significant timing issues that you're apt to see in this type of match, and, and that worked, you know, toward making it a little bit more enjoyable than I think I sort of expected it might be. The issue here was just that, like I, I had mentioned this in my report, that it doesn't seem like the reactions for the four challengers, if you had taken them all and added them up, would have even equaled what Rhea Ripley got. And and so that, to me, just, just kind of speaks to what a weak setup this was. I mean, you had these four challengers who all had claims to a title shot, but none of them felt like they were really within the realm of, of being able to compete with Rhea Ripley. Obviously, they wanted to make you think that Nia Jax was at that level and that, or that she was the closest of the bunch. The issue is that, I mean, so far, it just doesn't feel like the crowd agrees with that assessment. They, they just don't seem particularly invested in her as a character, or at least the way that she's being presented. And I don't get the sense. I mean, this is always hard to, to, to say with any confidence. I just, I don't really get the sense that the booze for her they don't feel like typical you're the bad guy and we're going to boo you type thing that you get with most acts in WWE. It feels a lot closer to me like we're just not interested in seeing you. Mm-hmm. There there just seems to be a real disconnect there with with the level of interest from the crowd and her. And so I, I think that this is moving toward obviously a one-on-one match with Rhea Ripley. I expect that Rhea will be the clear babyface in that match, uh, whether she's presented that way or not. And I just don't, I don't know if that's the right, the right direction to go right now. It just, it just feels like it's not there with Nia. And so I think that this, this match sort of suffered as a result because it did feel like a bunch of women getting some spots in to try to feel competitive while Nia just kind of was kept away from the fold to make sure that she came off strong and like she wasn't being fed to Rhea too early. I had made the argument on Twitter during the show that I really didn't see the point in this being a five-way, right? When you have five opponents, none of them who feel of making a particular run at the title here specifically, then I think that exposes Mm -hmm. how weak the division is. On the other hand, I understand why they did it, because Rhea Ripley has been portrayed as so strong that the only way that anyone would buy the fact that she could be in danger of losing her title is if she did so when the odds were stacked heavily against her, as they would be in this match. Like, maybe someone gets mm-hmm. a fluke, and or maybe someone helps someone else get the victory over Rhea Ripley, and, and that sort of sure. thing. So I, I certainly get it from that point of view, and I do think it... Um, punts into the future the eventual singles match that you'll see, whether it's Rhea Ripley versus Nia Jax, as you argued, or Rhea Ripley versus, I don't know, Zoe Stark, or Rhea Ripley versus Shayna Baszler, if they want to go back to that, or Raquel Rodriguez. So it allows a little bit of a buffer between that, and maybe you can do that at a future PLE and not feel like you're repeating yourself. I do agree that Nia Jax is probably the most likely to get the next shot against Rhea Ripley, but I understand it from the idea of, you know, 
you don't first of all we don't know how long Nia Jax is signed for whether it's a long-term deal or a short-term deal so you might just want to take advantage of her being there and get the most out of her while you can uh, but also you know she is someone who's coming in as a new threat they're building her up and I think that's something you want to take advantage of sooner rather than later um, against Rhea Ripley I don't think I, I don't think Jax um, I don't think her credibility necessarily increases the longer she's around, even away from the title. Like if you're trying to build her up as a title challenger, I think she comes in right away. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something you want to take advantage of. Yeah, I agree. If you, if you want to get something out of her as a title challenger, I I think it's, it's best to do it in the early going. Uh, I, I just don't, I, and, and I think like you mentioned, it, it, really is dependent here on how long she's under contract, what they have for have planned for her. I, I just don't see anything that they can do that's all that compelling beyond mm-hmm. having that one-off match with Rhea Ripley. And, I mean, God forbid, hoping that, that Ripley doesn't get injured. I mean, there's already been some some close calls with Nia since she's come back. I, I just... This this to me has has felt all along like a like a pretty short sighted um, decision and and uh, I, I just don't I don't see them reaping much benefit from it. Solo Sokoa defeating John Cena clean. So you talk about all the matches on this show that had interference, and the one where the greatest of all time loses has no interference, which is <laughs> probably not something I would have predicted going into it. Um, I, I think it is interesting because Sokoa when he first debuted on the main roster, was very heavily protected. He did not lose in one-on-one matches for a long time. And then over the last few months, I don't feel like he's been as protected now as he has been. Uh, so him getting the victory over here is is pretty meaningful and a pretty big step for him. But I want to talk about the match. There's two things I want to talk about. First, the match, and then the second is John Cena's teased retirement. The match was slow. Uh, it was not what you are accustomed to calling a quote-unquote good match in this era. So kind of philosophically, Brandon, how do you look at matches like this where you have a story being told? It's not slow because these guys are out of shape or they're, you know, whatever the case may have been in yesteryear. These are two guys telling a methodical story in the ring of Solo Sokoa trying to break down John Cena. How do you compare a match like that to... Uh, say Rey Mysterio versus Logan Paul, or even Seth Rollins versus Drew McIntyre, where, you know, in, in terms of, and I don't even necessarily mean it in terms of star ratings, but like, obviously Rollins versus McIntyre was a really good match. Would you call Cena versus Solo Sokoa a really good match? They were, they were very different styles, so how do you compare those two? And how do you kind of look at matches like Sokoa and John Cena, since we don't get a lot of matches like those anymore? Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this for, for what it was. And I, I don't know that I would necessarily call it a great match or a really great match, but I thought that it was it was really effective in what it was trying to do. And that was tell the story that John Cena is at this point, you know, he's older, he's broken down, he's lost a step, and Solo Sokoa, uh, on the other hand, is this young gun who is you know, powerful, he's fast, he is violent, he's vicious, and he is at this stage, you know, able to able to dominate and control John Cena for 15, 16 minutes, however long this went. 
I, I thought that they did exactly what they needed to do here. I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought that it was possible that given how hard they went at selling the idea that, hey, maybe this is it for Cena, maybe he doesn't have it anymore, that there was a possibility that he could win here. And and I didn't I didn't like that. I didn't like the idea of sacrificing Solo Sokoa in a big singles match. I think actually they, they noted that this was his first major singles match on a premium live event. Uh, so that in and of itself was a big deal. I think it was important to give him the win here, a strong win. And I also really liked the fact that Cena, for being, you know, as WWE has pushed him the greatest of all time, the, the big thing here was that Cena did not kick out of the spike. And yeah. that, to me, is a, a significant indicator of not only how, how strongly they view Solo Sokoa as an act, but also the willingness of Cena to come in and really put him over strong. Because they absolutely could have done this in a way where Cena loses, but he fights really valiantly at the end, and he kicks out of the spike, and he makes a real effort to put Sokoa down. And instead, they went the, the, the 2014 SummerSlam Brock Lesnar route. I mean, Sokoa just beat him down mercilessly and beat him. Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the Wake Keller Pro Sync Podcast, Wake Keller Pro Sync Post Show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also here are the VIP exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and The Fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits all the bonus content, and the ad-free listening experience. pwtorch.com slash govip. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I really think it could have gone either way, especially I think Cena's promo on SmackDown where he talked about being, you know, I mean, it was a very it was a very sad promo that John Cena cut uh, on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I think that sort of got people's ears perked up a little bit and thought, OK, you know, he's winning at Crown Jewel. And and that wasn't the case. So um, it, that was that was interesting, but also the teases of retirement, the, the talk about retirement by Michael Cole, who is as close to John Cena as almost anyone in WWE seems to be. And then, you know, the aftermath of the crowd giving an ovation to Cena and him kind of glumly walking off into the sunset. Uh, Certainly John Cena at 46 years old is closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning. And the more he accepts movie roles and things like that, the less likely he is to come back uh, into the WWE fold. So now that he has this free time, is this the right time to set up a John Cena retirement match? And where would you do it? I mean, WrestleMania seems like the obvious option. Uh, we know that in the past, WrestleMania storylines have often kicked off in the month of November, usually around Survivor Series time. So if you're wanting to do a John Cena retirement match and start to build for that, this would be the time to start doing it. So do you see... Do you see, first of all, John Cena ever having a retirement match? Or is he just a guy who's going to be, you know, I'm going to come back whenever I can until I just can't come back anymore because I'm either too old or too into the movies. I don't need a big thing. Um, And if they do a retirement match, do you see it at WrestleMania? Do you see it at WrestleMania this year? Where would you see it taking place? 
I don't know if I have a great read on Cena to to guess whether or not he would want a proper retirement or if he'd rather just kind of ride off into the sunset. We know that Cena has a, a great respect and admiration for Vince McMahon and the way that he does things and has done things throughout his career. And Vince is very much like that. I mean, Vince, you know, has talked ad nauseum about the fact that he doesn't really want a, a Hall of Fame uh, moment, that that sort of thing. And I, I could see Cena being similar, not in the sense that I don't think that he would uh, not want a, um, not want a, a, uh, a proper retirement with, with the hall of fame, but in the sense that he might not want a big to do about his actual in ring retirement. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure I, I could see it going either way. Um, if, this this comes down to Cena, right? I mean, if Cena thinks that this is really it for him, if he can't commit the time, if he can't commit to being available to any significant degree for any significant length of time, he may think that it is pertinent to just hang it up now while he's around and available. But I, I guess I wonder, I wonder who the right opponent is. Yeah. If if it is going to be the end for Cena and it's going to be the end here sooner rather than later, who is the right guy to do it? And I think without knowing that, without being able to pick someone out, it's hard for me to say for certain right now. Sure. Uh, let's go to the buffer segment. So, you know, three and a half hour pay-per-view. Let's throw Ms. TV on there. Uh, Ms. TV with Ibrahim Al-Hajjaj. I hope I was in the ballpark on that name. Um this was a Saudi Arabian actor, very popular, uh, and he was a guest on Ms. TV until Grayson Waller interrupted and took over with the Grayson Waller effect. And there was some back and forth. Al Hajjaj ended up getting uh, one over physically on Grayson Waller. Um, I think the thing I was most offended about in this segment was the Miz is a baby face. Real disappointed to see we're going back to that. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought. Ibrahim, whenever you bring someone in uh, who is not a wrestler or not familiar with the wrestling um, ring, I guess, and it, it was not uh, trained to be in the ring in front of a crowd like that, and you know we've seen actors in the United States fall on their face, both figuratively and literally, in that uh, type of segment. Uh, I thought Ibrahim uh, acquitted himself well. He was obviously very popular to the Saudi Arabian crowd. Uh, what did you think of this segment, and what did it add to this show? It didn't add anything. <laughs> that's kind, uh, that's sort of the answer I was fishing. Sort of the answer I was fishing for there, but I thought I'd yeah. give, I thought I'd give you a chance if you just in case you had an opposite opinion <laughs> of mine. I you know I welcome that. So yeah, I, uh, I I I sort of like the I sort of like the high and tight three hour pay per views or, or premium live events that WWE has been doing lately, and I think they could have gotten pretty close to hitting that mark if they just cut this segment. I don't have a problem with them doing it. I think you know it, it's it's not unlike them to bring out a popular actor or or celebrity when they can uh, on on the state side. So you know it's not something that I that I necessarily fault them for trying on the Saudi Arabian side. I just don't know that this really needed to be featured on the the show. I think that you could do this segment in front of the live audience before before the show and have it go off exactly how it went off and and just not not subject the American audience to it. I mean, 
it it didn't or the worldwide audience to it. it it didn't didn't do anything for the miz i mean like they've been teasing this baby face turn for a while it seems like this fully completed that i think grayson waller has been proven you know to be a bit of undercard fodder joke type and he's dragged austin theory down with him uh i, I just i just felt just completely unnecessary all right, then let's move on uh, to match number four, which was Logan Paul <laughs> defeating Rey Mysterio uh, using brass knuckles to win the United States title. I think this was uh, this was a, a match that I think Paul had pretty good odds to, to win this match um, and to win the title. I think maybe second to Roman yeah. Reigns defeating LA Knight. So a lot of people putting money on Logan Paul in this match, and uh, it paid off. He, he gets the victory. Uh, again, with the brass knuckles, and then he goes to Rey Mysterio after the match and tells how much Rey means to him uh, and what a legend he is, and Rey's saying, no, no, you mm-hmm. cheated. <laughs> Logan's like, no, no, it's all clean, all yeah. clean. So I like that I like that version of yeah. Logan Paul where he's just like this, you know, this this absolute uh, scumbag, dirtbag kind of guy. So um, good match. I, I noted um, uh, when I was tweeting about the show that it felt like a, uh, two matches in one. The first match was Logan Paul trying to keep Rey Mysterio grounded, trying to slow the match down, trying to work at his pace, and the announcers brought that up. And then the second half of the match, it was like he was, like, F it, and he just went and did all this high-flying stuff, saving Rey Mysterio from falling on his head, by the way, um, which was really really a, a, a swell move there. Um, and then, you know, picks up the victory with the brass knucks. I think Logan Paul as U.S. champion is going to be really fun. I think it'll be really cool. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, I know that there's going to be people who don't like it because he's not a full-time wrestler. We don't know what his schedule is going to be now that he's U.S. champion. I think I brought up um, last week in, in previewing Crown Jewel that Logan Paul just had his last boxing match. So one would assume there's going to be a big gap between that and his next one. So that gap could conceivably mm-hmm. be filled by being more of a weekly presence on WWE TV as U.S. champion. Um, and you have to imagine that they would, you know, this is all happening on, on SmackDown. Um, so <laughs> they've already got a, a champion who doesn't show up every week in Roman Reigns. I don't think you want exactly. to have a U.S. champion who is in name only, who shows up once a month. So, I, I, you know, I would trust that right. WWE knows that they're going to have him available at least while he's champion, however long that may be. But certainly a really good match here as expected. Longing for some nostalgia? Or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history? Don't miss the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Alex and Patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the torch issue from that very week. Follow news from the WWF and WCW and all the happenings from across the wrestling industry in real time as the torch reported it 30 years ago. That's the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Uh, any any further thoughts on this one, Brandon? Yeah, that, that, what you mentioned is key. WWE must have had a, a confirmation from Paul going into this that he would be available for at least the amount of time that they intend to keep the, the U.S. title on him. 
because otherwise it puts them in a really disadvantageous position uh, for for SmackDown, not having Roman Reigns around on a regular basis and then not having Logan Paul around. Your two top champions are are part-timers, essentially. They're not on the show on a weekly basis. So really, what what is the rest of your roster fighting for? Um, that would be a, a really tough position to be in. So I assume that Paul will be a mainstay on SmackDown for however long he's going to hold that title. I think putting the championship on him at this juncture is a great move. He has proven himself to not just be good, but to be better than, you know, a, a good portion of many rosters. I mean, it is shocking how incredibly naturally gifted he is at this. And like you mentioned, I mean, saving Rey Mysterio from disaster uh, with, with that, that moonsault attempt. I mean, as graceful as could be sliding underneath him at the last possible second and, and saving him from landing directly on his head. I mean, it, that was, that was a veteran move that you would, you should not see someone of Logan Paul's experience be able to pull off. So just, yeah, all around impressive. I I mean, I, I am the farthest thing from a, a Logan Paul, Logan Paul fan on a personal level, but man, has he been incredible uh, for them. And he's got both of the tools that are hard to find in people who have trained to be in this business. Uh, A lot of times, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the reason people don't reach the apex of success in the business is either that they're really good in the ring but don't connect on a personal level and don't have the bigger-than-life personality that pro wrestling requires, or they have a great personality, a big personality. It connects with the audience. They're just not good enough in the ring. And somehow Logan Paul comes in and mm-hmm. is able to do both right away. So I think that's what makes it even more uh, impressive what he's done. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the fifth match was – and this is where – I, I want to ask you about this because this is about where the crowd really took a downturn, maybe uh, even in, in Paul versus Rey Mysterio. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Um, crowd very quiet in the second half of the show. Was it just kind of – being worn out is this something that was there a a particular reason you think that happened i've seen floated on social media that the john cena loss and the emotional toll that that match may have taken and and the aftermath of it uh on the crowd may have kind of sucked the energy out of it um maybe it was just maybe this is what wwe crowds are like and we just don't know because wwe uses the crowd sweetener so often that um, maybe this is just the norm. I mean, what was your take on, on that, and, and how noticeable was it to you that the crowd seemed not as vocally engaged in the second half of the show? It was pretty noticeable, particularly in the in the EO Sky and, and Bianca Belair match. I thought that, that suffered the worst of, of the bunch. Uh, it, it, it's strange if it was, in fact, you know, the emotional toll from Cena and, and the T's retirement if that's kind of what took them out of it, because to me, it didn't, it didn't feel, I I mean, certainly the announcers were sort of playing up the fact that it might be the last time we see John Cena, but for one, the crowd couldn't hear that. So, so they're not getting, you know, the, the reactionary cues that we're getting watching at home, but also it just didn't, it didn't feel like a retirement to me. I, I mean, it felt obviously like he's potentially on that road, but this by no means felt like the last chapter of his story. So it's kind of surprising to me that if that were the case, that, that they'd, they'd react that strongly to that. It's hard to say because, I mean, usually you can point to a pretty, a pretty uh, 
easy to easy to read culprit, which is you know like with AEW shows, for example, where you're running four to five hours at breakneck pace, and every match is just go 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 from the bell. You can see how a crowd can get tired out, but this show wasn't like that at all. I mean, on the contrary, especially coming off of Cena and Sokoa, which worked a much slower pace and slower style. I'm not sure. I, I mean, it, it seems like they were tired. I, I, I don't get the sense that they were disinterested in what was being presented to them because they certainly popped big for Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso. So I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, as for Sky versus Bel Air itself, I thought it was a really nice match. I'd been looking forward to a singles match between these two for some time. Um, so I, I thought it was really good from that point of view. And then you had Kyrie Sane make her WWE return rumored to have been making her return for quite a while now. Uh, she comes back not as the happy pirate, but rather uh, heelish, helping EO Sky get the victory, celebrating with EO after the match, leaving Bailey outside kind of surprised, wondering what's going on, wondering perhaps what the future of damage control is now that Kyrie Sane is back. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of made this point. I noticed that they had pulled back on the teases of a babyface turn from EO Sky a few months ago. And I was wondering if that was around the time that the rumors of Kyrie Sane coming back to WWE had started. Because I was on the EO Sky as a babyface bandwagon. I thought it was time to break away from damage control. Damage control had been pun intended, damaged, I thought, from a booking perspective, and there wasn't really much left for them to do that was meaningful, and I thought having the title come between them would make a lot of sense, and then they WWE sort of went away from that, they stopped teasing that dissension, and now we see Kyrie Sane re-debuting in the business of the Judgment Day and EO Sky, so I was wondering if those two were related, uh, your thoughts on that and the match itself. Yeah, I see. I, I was I was a little bit more surprised because the first that I had heard of, of Kyrie Sane's uh, return was I don't know maybe like a maybe about a week ago on Twitter I think uh, and and perhaps that's just you know my own ignorance and missing it missing the report but I I haven't been privy to that news for all that long so while I wasn't surprised to see her show up because I had heard reports that she had resigned I hadn't been anticipating it for a long period of time. Uh, I had noticed as well that they had pulled back sort of on teasing, teasing EO's uh, face turn. And obviously now it all makes sense. Uh, now as for, as for the match itself, I thought it was solid enough, but the Belair and, and EO have proven that they work pretty well together. Uh, I was disappointed, of course, that this sort of devolved into, you know, uh, just a, a cavalcade of interferences there at the end. And this one to me was the most egregious of the night simply because the way in which they set up that closing spot, Bailey, Bailey gets involved, right? And, and already that's an issue because on SmackDown, we were told by Nick Aldis that there isn't going to be any interference from, from damage control. So right then and there, you're clued into the fact that they're kind of, they're kind of abandoning something that they set up the night before and I was disappointed that Cole and Barrett made no mention of that either. They just yeah. sort of acted like it was par for the course that Bailey get involved in an EO Sky match. So that was disappointment number one. But then the biggest of, of, of the two were, was the fact that once Bailey is on the outside with Bianca Belair, right, and, and Belair is trying to thwart Bailey's attempt to interfere, they need to set up a situation where 
they they can buy themselves a couple of minutes for Kyrie Sane to return because she needs her moment and her return to breathe, which makes a lot of sense. So the way that they did that was for EO Sky to, I guess, fake an injury and have the referee tend to her in the ring. But we weren't privy to that. It was just sort of there. And, and Cole and Barrett never made mention of it. It was just a way too cute, way too convenient way to keep the referee referee's back turn for what felt like two to four minutes so that <laughs> Belair and Bailey could execute their spot and then Kyrie Singh could do her run-in. It just didn't work for me at all, and it, it brought the match down a couple of pegs because of it. I also was, was just kind of irked by the fact that when EO Sky was coming to the ring, Wade Barrett went on a pretty lengthy diatribe about the fact that there have been mumblings from people that that EO Sky is not necessarily a deserving champion or an earned champion because she cashed in money in the bank to win, which I think is a, a viable complaint to make. There, there isn't credibility established when you have a money in the bank winner cash in to win the championship. So the way in which you establish credibility for that champion is to give them strong wins over time against an array of challengers. And while EO has now built up an array of wins against multiple challengers, as Wade Barrett referenced, she hasn't done so by her own volition. Every single title defense has come with significant interference from damage control. So at no point has EO been presented as a, a credible or viable or strong champion. And I think that has not only really hurt her run as champion, but also has hurt these title defenses because the title doesn't feel like it means quite as much as it once did because Sky is just getting away with these ridiculous interference finishes. So yeah, I, I was down I was down on a lot of this as a whole, despite thinking that the, the early portion of the match was quite strong. So I guess the question that naturally arises from that is, do they even want to present her as a credible champion? Is the point of the money in the bank? Well, yeah, I mean, and I think that's a fair question to ask because, you know, in in professional wrestling booking, not every champion is booked to be credible for whatever reason. You know, there may be a story involved, such as this one, where someone cashes in the money in the bank briefcase, and we know that that is not always in a one-on-one situation, as with EO Sky. And then as part of the damage control group, she uses a lot of uh, interference to retain. So it could possibly be the point that WWE is not booking her as a credible champion, that she is a heel, and therefore she needs... Um, you know, as every WWE heel now does, uh, needs outside interference to win. And so I think you've stumbled upon <laughs> exactly what how they're booking her, and, and they're doing so purposefully, I think. Um, you know, we can have a conversation about whether or not that's the right move, but it sure seems to be the way WWE is booking it. And I want to uh, say something about the referee, because in the Logan Paul versus Rey Mysterio match, it was kind of funny, um... They showed the replay, and I don't know that I would have noticed this had they not shown the replay with this angle. But if you look at when Logan Paul uh, was getting ready for the 619 and he picks up the brass knuckles off the apron, you can see that the ref is distracted by something. And he turns the other way 
and starts walking to the other side of the ring. The problem is there's nothing over there to distract him. <laughs> I don't know if maybe mm-hmm. Santos Escobar mm-hmm. and and Logan Paul's buddy were supposed to stay at ringside longer and maybe cause that distraction. But by yeah. then they had already gone into the crowd. So when Logan Paul is getting the knuckles mm-hmm. and hitting Rey Mysterio with them, the ref is distracted. And you can see on the angle there's nothing there to distract him. Like that, that to me, that's mm-hmm. a that's a producing thing. Like, if you're going to have the ref have his back turned, there's got to be a, a, a viable reason. And I don't know, maybe Escobar, like I said, maybe they were supposed to be at ringside and weren't. Maybe it didn't go off as cleanly as it was supposed to. But that's just, I, I mean, when you have to come up with so many different reasons for refs to be distracted, that should be your tell as a booking yeah. committee or as a writer that maybe we're relying on this too often. Absolutely. One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comments section. Thank you so much. So uh, sticking with the women one more second, what's next for Bianca Belair? Um, Because she is, she always gets the star treatment on these big shows, um, but clearly she is behind on the depth chart a little bit. Uh, I would, you know, I would advocate her joining Bobby Lashley and her husband Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins as part of that group. I think, you know, I love Bianca Belair as a, as a babyface. I think she's a great babyface. I know she does a lot of community outreaches, and WWE knows that that is a valuable talent to have for certain wrestlers. But it just kind of feels like she's not achieving the kind of success she should at this point. And I'm wondering if a heel turn and joining her husband in that group might be the elixir to put her back on the map. Yeah, there's there's definitely some staleness there with that character. And uh, it, you could tell when she returned. I, I think that it's a combination of a couple of things. There There is some fatigue with the character, and then there's also just the simple fact that they haven't really been giving her a whole lot to work with. I mean, the, the, this rematch with Io Sky felt more like it was, it was happening, um, you know, because, because it, it had to, because she had returned from injury and was, was getting a, a, a rematch for, you know, the title that she lost by via cash in. So to me, it, it, it felt just sort of like it was something that had to happen versus something that had a lot of juice behind it. I I was thinking the exact same thing that you were uh, that that the 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 possibility of bringing her into uh, the the Bobby Lashley Street Profit stable is uh, is really interesting. So the semi main event Cody Rhodes defeating Damian Priest, uh, plenty of interference in this one. JD McDonough, Jay Uso all involved here, um, Finn Balor as well. Uh, crowd seemed to come back to life a little bit for this one. Damian Priest had lost his briefcase earlier, by the way. It was stolen by Sami Zayn uh, in the first match. So he's without his briefcase. He loses the match here. Uh, Judgment Day has seemed to be on the fence recently in terms of, 
you know, they almost kind of feel like they're going to tip over and, and there's going to be a big blow up. And I wonder if Priest losing here in combination with losing his briefcase, what that means. You know, does Adam Pierce demand that Sami Zayn give the briefcase back? Does Sami Zayn get to cash in now? I mean, what's what's the status of the briefcase? Everybody wants to know. Oh, man, I hope that they don't they don't go the route of. Uh, you know, possession is, is nine tenths or in this tenth, you know, ten tenths of the law. I, I don't think that, uh, that, that Zane should just be able to cash in because he's in possession of the briefcase. But stranger things have happened. It wouldn't, you know, completely blow me away if that's something that they did. Uh, I, I think that the match was fine. Uh, Rhodes and, and Priest worked well enough together. And I think that, uh, that, that they started out hot and that was the right way for these two to go. I think that given the way that some of the other matches had played out, uh, on this show, it was wise of them to just come out of the gates, you know, guns blazing and, and have them have a shorter match that, that told an effective story. Cody was over huge. And I, I think he was one of the only guys who, you know, LA Knight too, and, and Roman got significant reactions, but there was just less interest in the matches themselves. But uh, Cody still managed to get a, uh, a huge star reaction. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it worked for what it was. I, I think that you're you're on to something there with this being a potential turning point for Judgment Day. I, I think that there's definitely going to continue to be some uh some interplay there between Priest and, and uh and Finn Balor and some tension rising there with Rhea Ripley continuing to try to play peacemaker. Uh but I am intrigued as to what the end game is for Priest especially, because to me he doesn't scream effective babyface, and and I don't think that they've done enough with him, even in Judgment Day, to warrant the crowd getting very much behind that character. So it's a it's a curious position that they're in because while I think that it might be becoming time to to start considering separating members of Judgment Day, I just don't see what their upside is alone. Mm-hmm. And and finally, the main event, Roman Reigns defeating L.A. Knight. Uh, Jimmy Uso interferes in this one. This is the result I think we all knew deep down in our heart of hearts, but I think a lot of people had hope that L.A. Knight was going to win here. I, I'll be honest, I'm a fan of L.A. Knight. I've been a fan of his since he was in TNA. Um, I'm happy for his success. I think it's cool that the fans have gotten behind him to the degree that they have. But at no point could I ever make a cogent argument for him being the one to knock off Roman Reigns at this event. I just did not see it. I did not see it as a real potential for WWE, and I didn't see it as something that even made a lot of sense or that I would have wanted. Like, after watching this Reigns bloodline storyline for three years, like, I want an ending that fits. I want an ending that makes sense. And to me, that's Cody Rhodes. That's... Jay Uso, that's even The Rock, or, or even Solo Sokoa. It's not L.A. Knight in the middle of a, a fever dream of, you know, fans being in love with him for this time. Um, is that is that something that you felt too, or did you think that WWE may have wanted to get a moment here uh, and, and put the title on L.A. Knight? Oh no, I, I definitely agree. This was this was a nice fork in the road for Roman Reigns and for LA Knight, who I think has had a meteoric rise that has been a lot of fun to watch unfold and that I am hopeful continues to happen. I don't want to see this 
be the end of L.A. Knight's push. I think that he's earned himself a spot near the top of the card. I think he is a viable act for them to continue on with in the coming months. I think that if Logan Paul is going to be a long-term U.S. champion, that there is money in a Logan Paul uh, and L.A. Knight match at WrestleMania for that U.S. championship. I think that that is what they should be working towards and building towards and hoping that they can put together. Because to me, that that is an all-around great piece of business. So, no, I I thought that this was what it needed to be. I, I mean... Knight got got plenty of offense in. Uh, he looked good. He was over with the crowd. He did. It didn't feel like the moment was too big for him. I thought that Cole and Barrett were both um, very very strong and solid in their commentary and selling of Knight as a credible challenger, but also acknowledging the ways in which he approached the match differently than some of Reigns' previous opponents. So, I thought they did a really good job. The match itself, to me, felt a little too formulaic. I think that they are relying too heavily on the the the, the tried-and-true tired structure of Roman Reigns' title defenses. And even me, as someone who has been an ardent supporter of Roman Reigns, of this championship run, of the Bloodline storyline in general – even when others were sort of clamoring at the idea that maybe it had, had, you know, reached or was approaching its shelf life. This match was the first time where, well, second time, because I think the Jey Uso match at SummerSlam crossed into that territory as well. But this, so this was the second time where I kind of looked at the way that this thing was laid out and the beat by beat and felt like I could predict every single moment. And it it felt a little too tired. I, I think that, they would be really wise to find ways to switch up these title defenses. And I don't know necessarily how you do that, but I I think it's time. I think it's time to to present something a little bit different because this just felt too much like more of the same. So last question for you before we let you go. This was seen by a lot of people, not necessarily is LA Knight going to win and knock off Roman Reigns, but can he – hold his own in a pay-per-view main event against the biggest star in WWE. Um, if you're, if you're WWE brass, were, did you like what you saw from, from LA night tonight? I think you have to, I think that, you know, you, you've got to be impressed with the way that he handled the crowd, the way that the crowd stayed invested in him throughout because I, I, I want to give credit to the Saudi Arabian audience who, who seems like at this point they are very much in tune with what WWE expects from an audience and, and what, uh, what the major beats are, what the storyline beats are, what the, what the chants are, what the songs are to sing. They, they seem in tune with all of it. And so I, I think that, knowing that you can probably assume that they had a pretty good idea that LA Knight was not going to beat Roman Reigns. And given that that is probably the case, the fact that they stayed so universally behind him from start to finish, even when they likely felt like he was going to lose in the end, tells you that this is, is more than just a flash in the pan. I think that there is a real connection, a real significant interest in Knight. And I think, you know, L.A. Knight has to, has to hold up his end of the bargain. I, I think that he needs to expand the character a little bit. He's got to rely a little less on the catchphrases. Doesn't mean that he can't use them in every promo. I just think that he should have a little bit more substance to the promos. Mm-hmm. But if he can do that and he can, can sustain this level of momentum, 
I, I would think that WWE has to be really, really happy with what they saw and what they potentially have here going into, to, you know, to a, a season that is going to be very busy and, and where they're going to need people like Knight. All right, Brandon, uh, thanks once again for your expert analysis here on the post-pay-per-view slash PLE uh, daily cast wrestling night in America. Before we let you go, let fans who are listening know uh, where they can find your work and on social media. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to stick around for uh, analysis of the full card. Usually I am here for the whole show with Greg, but I had some prior commitments tonight, so I have got to get, uh, get a move on. But uh, thanks, Greg, still for, for having me. Let me talk about uh, about this show. You can find me uh, on Twitter at, or X, uh, still calling it Twitter. We're, call it, we're calling it Twitter here. I, uh, I discuss we're calling it Twitter, <laughs> yes. uh, where I discuss wrestling and, and music and movies and, and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, as far as my work for The Torch, uh, I cover the uh, all AEW pay-per-views and all WWE premium live events alongside editor Wade Keller's report. So you can view my report and uh, my all-perspective all take with, uh, with detailed coverage of the matches themselves and analysis of the matches uh, before I hop on here with Greg to uh, expand upon that a little more. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely check that out, and I'll be looking forward to uh, to joining you, Greg, again in, uh, in a couple weeks for Full Gear. All right. Brandon, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Always a pleasure. Of course. All right, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back at our regularly scheduled time next Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, with Wrestling Night in America. We'll, we will do a full preview of the AEW Full Gear card, and then the week after that will be our Full Gear post-show, uh, so you'll want to tune in for that as well. So you can find me on Twitter at Greg M. Parks. That's Greg M. Parks. And don't forget, you can email us any time during the week. So WNIALivecast at gmail.com is where you can email us. That's WNIALivecast at gmail.com. So, for example, we're going to be talking uh, full gear next Sunday. So if you see something on Dynamite on Wednesday night that uh, you want to bring up to us for us to talk about on that show, feel free to email us on Wednesday. We'll get it, and we'll talk about it on Sunday. So I hope you'll join us next Sunday. Because if it's Sunday, it's Wrestling Night in America. You don't have to wait for the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Show to find out what I thought of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown each week. You can check out my reports that are updated live throughout Raw and SmackDown at pwtorch.com. My written report will tell you what's happening in detail in case you missed the show. And it'll also analyze key segments and give my random thoughts and quips on what I am watching as it airs. So check it out every Monday night and Tuesday night at pwtorch.com. That also applies to WWE pay-per-views. I cover those live at pwtorch.com with a detailed written report with star ratings. And of course, you can find other TV reports from other contributors to PW Torch, such as NXT, ROH Impact Wrestling, and more. Check it out, pwtorch.com, your first stop for TV and pay-per-view written reports.
A PW Torch VIP membership doesn't just give you ad-free access to these shows and a ton of other VIP-exclusive podcasts throughout the week, but you also gain access to our unmatched, vast library of wrestling history, our contemporaneous week-to-week coverage through our Pro Wrestling Torch Weekly newsletters dating back to the late 1980s, along with streaming and download access to hundreds of retro radio shows from the 1990s, including some of my interviews with wrestling's top newsmakers in the 90s, and also our podcast library dating back to the year 2003. There's no larger longer spanning pro wrestling podcast library than that that comes with a pw torch vip membership now approaching 20 years of podcasting go vip and dive into our post pay-per-view roundtables our coverage of some of your favorite eras of wrestling top name long form interviews and special format podcasts that we've done throughout the years pwtorch.com slash go vip we have a streamlined sign up form and you can pay with paypal or directly with your credit card or debit card in one or two minutes from right now, you can be a VIP member and diving into our library, pwtorch.com slash govip. Searching for more great pro wrestling talk? Then join me, Jason Powell, host of the free weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net along with other pro wrestling media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com. Now you can subscribe to our VIP podcast lineup within the Apple Podcast app using your Apple account. That's new as of March 2022. Just search PW Torch in your Apple Podcast app and you'll see the PW Torch Daily Cast logo show up. That's our free show that's been around forever. And also the PW Torch VIP Podcast logo. There is a free show every week, so subscribe even if you don't plan to go VIP and get a sample of our VIP tier programming. But if you click subscribe, then you'll become a VIP member instantly with a three-day free trial after which your Apple account will be charged. So you don't need to take out your credit card, debit card, or go anywhere else. If you listen to our free shows on Apple Podcasts, you are five seconds away from being a VIP member with a three-day free trial. So we invite you to check it out. That includes dozens of VIP shows throughout the week, including VIP versions of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling post shows and podcasts and daily casts. All those episodes are presented to VIP members with ads and plugs removed along with VIP exclusives like our post-pay-per-view roundtables, the Wade Keller Hotline, The Fix with Todd and Wade, everything with Rich and Wade, and many other VIP exclusive shows. Just search PW Torch within the Apple Podcasts app. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Did you know we also have a website? PWTorch.com. Daily news updates, editorials, and my live TV coverage covering Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown, and my live pay-per-view coverage for WWE and AEW. Create a tab or bookmark, make it a daily stop, visit us throughout the day, every day to keep up on breaking news and more. That's pwtorch.com. Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcast? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro Wrestling Paradise at PW Torch VIP as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series, celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows, where our guests will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the Pro Wrestling Paradise. 
detailed PW Torch VIP subscription information, and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices, or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise. One benefit of VIP membership is access to our back issue library, contemporaneous, in-depth, insider reporting on pro wrestling in real time over the past 30 plus years. And throughout the year 2022, we're going to begin our march through the year 2002 with back issues posted each week in PDF and all text formats. You can read it in a PDF format with our original magazine slash newsletter style layout on your screen and flip through the pages, or you can read a straightforward all-text format on your phone or tablet or laptop. The back issues early in 2002 covered the arrival of Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan to WWE and all the controversy that came with them, plus my cover story that broke the news on the planned launch by Jerry and Jeff Jarrett of a promotion called TNA. Also, the early 2002 features are 2001 year in review features, including ranking pro wrestling's most influential power brokers and our Torch year-end awards, the year in quotes, and the top 50 stories ranked in order from the year 2001. So go VIP and dive into our back issues. We have most of our back issues available as soon as you sign up with new back issues week by week from the year 2002, one at a time throughout the year 2022. PWTorch.com slash go VIP. PWTorch.com slash go VIP. That's PWTorch.com slash go VIP for full information and our sign-up form. It's more than podcasts. It's an unmatched library of wrestling history spanning more than three decades as soon as you sign up with more issues added throughout the year. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Do you want to cleanse after eating too much Halloween candy? Do you want to have energy to deal with your relatives and all the travel? Eat nutrient-dense food that's quick and easy with Factor Meals. That's what I do. Sometimes I'm just too busy to cook on my busy schedule, and I want to make sure I'm eating well. And with Factor, I don't have to run to the grocery store. I don't have to chop, prep, and clean up either. And I get flavor and nutritional quality that I look for to give me the energy to keep doing what I do. It is cold and flu season, and I found over time that when I've been eating well, I recover quicker from uh, cold and flu symptoms. And during this time of year, you want to be able to get out and do things without feeling like you're going to be sick for two weeks afterwards. The clean eating and nutrient density in Factor Meals makes me more confident that I'm going to fight back against all the germs that are out there circulating during this time of year. Factor provides over 35 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that does support a healthy lifestyle and will meet your meal preferences with their variety all delivered right to your door and ready to pull out of the refrigerator and heat up and eat in two minutes. You don't have to wait 45 minutes for delivery, worry if the food's going to be cold, worry about how much to tip, and mess around with the delivery app. Every week you get a box of meals and they're in your fridge ready to go. They also have an assortment of 45 plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes, including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes and smoothies. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice, too. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity at their production and site offices. So, this November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. 
Head to factormeals.com slash Wade50 and use code Wade50 to get 50% off. That's code Wade50 at factormeals.com slash Wade50 to get 50% off. 